I want to remind you where we've been. We asked the first, uh, the first week of this sermon series, we said, who am I? And we, we realized that who we are is who God says we are. Our identity is determined by the Lord. And His Word declares who we are. You say, but why is that so important? Because the world, if you're not careful, the world, the worldly system, friends, family, um, the culture, the society will tell you who you should be. And if you allow that to happen, you're going to find yourself broke, busted, and disgusted. You're going to find yourself in a really bad spot because the truth of the matter is only God can declare who you are since he is your creator. He's the one that fashioned you. He's the one that put you together. He's the one that breathed life into you. And so the Bible says you are, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. That you are his creation. That he loves you. The Bible says he loves you with an everlasting love. He also says that he commanded his love towards you. Isn't that beautiful? What does it mean he commanded his love towards you? It means that before you even knew him, he already loved you. This is why the Bible says clearly, we love him because he first loved us. Think about that with me for a second. We love him because he first loved us. Before you even knew him, he already determined that Christ would die for you, with you in mind. And he says that you are his. He calls you a masterpiece, saved to good works, that he created and he prepared before the beginning of time that you would have the faith to walk in them. So today I want to talk to you about this amazing, amazing life God gives us to live. So we covered, who am I? We said last week, why am I? Well, why we are is because we're called to do God's purpose. We're called to a very significant purpose. We'll cover a little bit more of that. But today I want to cover when I am. So because of who I am, it determines why I am. Meaning I have a purpose, a mandate, something specifically that God put me here on earth to accomplish. I'm to accomplish his good pleasure. You've heard that people in the president's cabinet say, we serve at the pleasure of the president. Guess what? We Christians serve at the pleasure of our great king, our great king. And so we have a purpose. And because we have that purpose, when I am about that purpose, I'm blessed. What does it mean I'm blessed? It means you prosper. You encounter favor. You're, you flourish. You're fulfilled. That's what God came to tell us. He said, when you do life the way I prescribed it, you're fulfilled. In fact, you will overflow with what? Joy, peace, rest, love, hope, faith. All of these things. Say, Pastor, then if God promises so many of these things, then why are so few people actually fulfilled? Well, one of the reasons so few so few people are actually fulfilled is because we want to be in charge and we want to do things our way. Come on. We seek and we look for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that true? We're going around looking for love in bars, honky tonks, all over the place. You say, oh, pastor, I'm done with that. I done found my love. You know, now I'm not just talking about relationship. 
We look for love in terms of significance, in terms of affirmation. Some of us have turned to pleasure. Anyone ever tried pleasure looking for fulfillment is what I'm talking about. Some have tried popularity. Others have tried prestige, power. And it goes on and on and on what we try. We try to get fulfilled, yet Jesus said, if you seek ye first the kingdom, I'll give you fulfillment. I'll give you fulfillment. For I have come that you might live fulfilled. In fact, my goal is not just so that you would live a little bit full. I want to overflow you so that all those around you would experience my goodness as well. Come on, patriarchs. How many fathers of the house do we have in the room? God wants you to live in such a way that it overflows to your family. He wants you to live in such a way that it overflows mothers to your children's children's children. God says, I'm faithful, and if you do it my way, I'll bless you from generation to generation to generation. This is the kind of fulfillment God has called us to have, and he says it's yours, but we've got to do it his way. One of the ways that, that, that he has called us to live is Christ-like. Let me ask you, how hard is it to live Christ-like? Anyone here say, I got this. I got this. Jesus and me. I'm like right there. I'm gaining on him. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting his heels. I'm, I'm catching up to him. No. To live Christ-like is, is a big deal. And so when I first started Foundation, I said, Lord, what, is, what should the, the purpose of our church be? What's our purpose? And I felt like he said, he said, well, I've, I put it in my word to be Christ-like. You are called to be the presence of Christ in Bastrop, in the community where I've placed you. I said, well, what does it mean to be Christ-like? And as I looked through the word, I couldn't help but understand that these are the principles, the, the areas where God um, calls his church to live. There's seven of them all together, Jesus as our head. How hard is it to have Jesus as the head? You know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I know how my priorities should be. It should be God, right? Family, church, and we, we all say that, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. Come on, am I the only one that finds it difficult to say, Lord, what is it like to put you first? What, how, how can I learn to do that? I, I suspect this is why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to belong to me, if you want to follow me, you must do what? You must take up your cross daily and follow after me. What is, he, what is the picture he's painting? Every day, you should walk that green mile. You're on death. Come on. You're on death row. You should go strap into that electric chair and juice it up. You say, oh, pastor, that sounds funny. Well, that's what the cross meant to that. See, nowadays we wear the cross and we make cute of it. Right? We put the cross everywhere. Put it up on our wall. We put it on our cars. We put it around our necks. We put it as tattoos. We have it everywhere. But the cross was a symbol of what? Horrific. Painful, excruciating death. And Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself each and every day. 
oh God, I've got this, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Right early in the morning, I die to myself. Come on, how many of you found early in the morning is the easiest time to die to yourself? Because nothing's happened. <laughs> right, you roll out of bed, there's nothing's happened yet. But you know what I found? That by the time I get to evening, I've done, stop dying to myself. I've gotten off the altar, right? You know, we're supposed to lay down as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. I've gotten off the altar. I've brushed myself off. I've taken control of my life and I'm fully going for it in my own strength. So I learned, okay, it's not just the morning time. It's also the evening time. But you know what I also learned? That I have to probably do it at lunchtime. Because if you're anything like me, you know, bright and early, super easy. Evening, very hard. But at lunchtime, I've done some crazy things midday. Midday, I have lost my religion, lost my composure, lost my, am I the only one? Come on, you just have to spend a few hours in Austin traffic. <laughs> am I right? And you will lose your Christianity. I mean, you will act a fool out there with them because it's those California, I mean, did I say, <laughs> I didn't mean that. No, of course not. You know, we love you. We love you. We love you. I got I to gotta have some fun with the, the folks from out of state because you're growing our faith. You're growing our faith. You're growing our faith. Amen? No, you, you, we're, we're, we're having, a, it's a tough deal to live like Christ. That's what I'm saying. It's a tough, tough deal to live like Christ. We have to die to ourselves. And so to have Jesus as our head reminds me of one of the great kings of Israel. How many of you, um, when you think of a great king of Israel, who would you think of? Would you think of David? David was the man. I love David. There's just something so endearing about David. But that wouldn't be the guy that the Bible calls one of the greatest, if not the greatest king that Judah ever had. You go, who did the Bible say there was none like him before and there was none like him after? Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 18, verse 2. The Bible says he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name is as follows. And then verse 3, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And then he goes on to say he removed the, the pagan imagery that had begun to spread throughout the land. He removed it. He took care of it. Isn't that beautiful? You go, well, who is this man? Well, the Bible says that King Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him either. Isn't that beautiful? This is what I find interesting. The Bible goes on to say that he kept, he did not depart, right, watch this, he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from, the, from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, 
And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. This is beautiful because David was an amazing king, but he had some mishaps. Not only that, he did not have to turn the heart of his people back to God. Because of his place in history, he didn't have the same challenges that Hezekiah had. Can I tell you, we're called to be Hezekiahs in a dark world. Why? Because this world has turned its heart away from God and is following after foreign gods and idolatry and all sorts of nonsense. And we're called to live like Hezekiah was in a dark world, yet faithful to God. Yet completely focused on God. He tore down those images. Some of us have to go into our homes and tear down images. Get rid of some stuff. Reconsecrate. Oh, but that's another message. That's another message. Today, I want to tell you, he also refused to live in compromise to an evil king in Assyria. He said, you can come attack me. I won't do it. You can do what you want to me. I won't do it. I won't do it. He did not bow to the Assyrian king. But I find something interesting because at the end of King Hezekiah's life, listen to me very closely, The Lord sent word through the prophet Isaiah to say, I'm calling you home, buddy. I'm calling you home, faithful servant. I'm calling you home. It's time for you to come home to heaven. Come on, let me ask you a question. How would you feel if the prophet of the Lord came to you and said, put your affairs in order, make sure everything is where it needs to be because I'm calling you home? How would you feel? Come on, how many of you would say, that's a sobering thought. I would be shaken to the core. In first service, someone said, I'd freak out. (laughs) Anyone freak out? Anyone feel despondent? Just completely broken? And yet this is what happens. In Isaiah 38, we have the story. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Set your household in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? The prophet says, you're going to die. You need to put your affairs in order. And King Hezekiah says, oh no. There's so much I could preach on this. Just the fact that he valued the word of the Lord. How many people would despise it and say, eh, you're just a prophet. No, he understood. You are the prophet of God. What the prophet of God says is the word of the Lord. And the word of God is a God of his word. So if he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. So immediately he turns his attention to God, fully captivated on God, and he begins to cry out to the Lord. And he says, oh Lord, I pray that you would remember how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. Come on, how many of us could say that? So my question is this, two questions. If this were you, And you had to look back over the last 15 years of your life and present them to the Lord, would you be proud? 
That's okay. That's okay. God is a forgiving God. So my, question, my second question is this. If you're not proud over the last 15 years, could you at least, like Paul say, Paul, remember, was not proud of his former years. He persecuted the church. He was there when the first martyr of the church was stoned. It brought him great grief. He was not proud of it. This is why Paul says, I forget what is behind and I press on towards what is ahead. I let go of my past and I strain. I give it all I got to, come on. So how many of us would be in that second camp and say, I can't point to anything back here, but Lord, I want to point to what's ahead. Could you say, Lord, the next 15 years of my life, I dedicate them to, to you, to your purpose. Or how many of us would say, but Lord, I still have a lot to do. I have some goals. I have some this. I have that. I have some unfinished business. And God would well, since you are, since you're all that plus a bag of chips, I guess I'm a go, I go ahead and, and just, do you hear what I'm saying? You say, Pastor, why do you preach this way? Why don't more pastors preach this way? Because I'm kind of sick and tired of the American church saying it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about your happiness. It's all about your welfare. It's all about your blessing. It's all about you, you, you. Come on, let me hear, let me hear you really, really, really resonate with this fact. It's not about us. We're here today, gone tomorrow. It's about the King of glory whose plans are from everlasting to everlasting. They're from everlasting to everlasting. He's doing an epic work in the world, an epic work in the world where he has called people from the beginning and he has let the story of salvation play out and we get a chance to play a part in this epic, amazing work of love. But it's not just about us. It's about him and his good pleasure, amen? We serve at the good pleasure of our great king, amen? And here is the king of Judah finding that out. But I suspect he already knew it. I suspect he already knew it because you don't have this response if you don't know God. And he begins to cry out to the Lord. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it moved God's heart. And so while Isaiah was still in the courtyard of the palace... God sends him back and says, go to Hezekiah, I've changed my mind. You go, God doesn't change his mind, who said? God doesn't change his values. God doesn't change his principles. But he can change his mind. Isn't that beautiful? And he responds to our prayers. And so he said, go back, I'm going to give him another 15 years. Praise the Lord, amen. This is what it means to have Jesus as our head, to say, Lord, it's about you, my king. It's about you. And listen, we live in a dark world. This is why the Apostle Paul says this, so be careful how you live. Live as men and women who are wise and not foolish. Make the best use of your time. These are sinful days. They're evil days. And if you're not careful, they'll wrap you up in foolishness. See, so he goes, 
But make the best use of, a, of your time in spite of these sinful days. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. What does the Lord want me to do? Well, he wants me to follow him. So I find it interesting that when Jesus first started his ministry, he was preaching at the lake shore. How hard is it to get to the lake shore? Super easy. All you have to do is go downhill. Right? Anyone like going downhill? But let me ask you this. What good happens in life by just flowing downhill? You go, I don't understand your question. Let me ask it a little bit different. If you want to accomplish something great, do you just go downhill? I heard uh, Dr. Maxwell say this. He said, no one ever wrote a book saying, sliding downhill to success. <laughs> Isn't that true? What do you got to do if you want to be successful? You got to march uphill, don't you? You've got to take more ground. If you want your business to thrive, is it going to be easy or are you going to have to really go for it? See, to go uphill, you've got to be intentional. You've got to make a determination. I'm going to put in the effort. Doesn't matter how hard it gets. Doesn't matter what I have to go through. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to fight for my marriage. Uh-oh. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm not going to take no for an answer, Lord. I'm going to pound on the gates of heaven until they're saved. Lord, I'm not stopping until you hear my prayer. Lord, I want every one of my children to know you, to love you, to be saved, to be found in you. Uh-oh. I'm not stopping, God. Do you realize that the great man of faith, George Mueller, had five individuals that he prayed for, and the last one, he prayed salvation over their lives, and he would pound on the gates of heaven for them to be saved. The last one was saved 55 years after he started praying for them. Could we have that kind of tenacity for our children? But you're going to have to go uphill, and this is why I find it interesting, because when Jesus started his ministry, we forget this. It says, when he finished teaching the multitude, he began to go up the mountain. And the disciples followed him up the mountain. See, to be a disciple of Christ, you got to go up the mountain. You can't just roll downhill in what is easy. You're going to have to exert some energy and really, oh, come on now, have to work through following Jesus up the mountain. And then he said, blessed are those who are such. Number two is fellowship. Fellowship is important. You say, why is fellowship important? Well, the Bible says that as we get closer to Jesus' return, fellowship is going to be more needed. Read with me in the book of Hebrews. It says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Some are in the habit of doing this. But I tell you, exhort one another. So you say, why is fellowship important? Number one, because of very exhortation. Come on, how many of us need people to help us go uphill? Because uphill is hard. Following Jesus is hard. And so we need each other to exhort one another. What is it, what is it to exhort someone? It's what I'm doing now. Come on, we can do this. You're better than this. God has more for you. God has something great for you. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the enemy distract you. Don't buy that lie. God has something wonderful for your family, but you might have to fight for it. Men, you're going to have to get in there. You're going to have to learn to humble yourselves, have to learn to love your wife like the 
Christ has loved the church. I know it's not easy, but guess what? If I've learned it, so can you. Amen? You go, why do you always start with the guys first? Because you represent Jesus, and we love him because he first loved us. You know, it's interesting because I've helped some guys with their marriage, and it's funny, I never talk to the wife. I only talk to him. And he would come in and he would, they would all have the same thing. How dirty, rotten scoundrels the wives are. And they're ready to, to leave them. And I'm like, okay, I'll take your word for it, but let's work on you. Let's work on you. I can't, I, she's not here. Let's work on you. And then lo and behold, I start working on them based on God's word. And it's going uphill, but I'm exhorting. I'm helping because we need each other. And as I help them, and they understand, and they ask questions, and they can hear it from, sometimes you got to get out of your own head. Isn't that the truth? Talk things out with another brother in the faith. But this is the thing. You can't just pick any old knucklehead to talk to. And I'm trying to help you if you let me. Come on, that's one of the wisest things we've learned. As we've grown up in life, that you can't just talk to any person. You have to talk to someone who has your best interest in mind. But your best interest is not the only requirement. They have to be able to help you because of wisdom that they have acquired over the lifetime. And they have to be able to point you in God's word to the proper path to take. Amen? And so you have to be careful with these things. And so this is why we need one another. I didn't finish telling you, so I'm talking to the guys, and then lo and behold, they come in after some weeks and after some months, they go, my wife is changing. I don't know what's going on, but God is changing her. And I go, yeah, absolutely. It's all about her still, but let's just keep working about, on you. And let's just keep working on you. And the more we work on them, they go, man, I don't know what happened, but my wife is a different person. I said, I know, but we can't help her. We got to just work on you. Amen. And lo and behold, they figure it out. Oh, God changed me. Amen. God changed me. We need each other. Number two, outreach. Outreach is super important. Now, I want to share something with you. I, I shared with you that, that, um, that diagram where we had seven different things, right? Jesus is the head. And then we have uh, fellowship was number two. Number three is outreach. And then we'll finish leaving two for next week. The two that we will leave are in the heart, worship and prayer. But we'll cover the rest today. So if some of you are keeping track with me on the time going, he's never going to finish seven. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, I'm not. But hang in there with me. Amen. So as we go to outreach, what is outreach? Last week, we called this point evangelism. What is evangelism? Evangelism is to share your faith. Come on, how many of us know that's tough? In fact, it's impossible to really bring someone to faith in our own strength. Because salvation, the Bible says, is completely of God, holy of God. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. But God can. God does the saving. And this is why it's so important for us to remember what the Bible promises in evangelism. It says, but you shall receive power. Did you catch that? Come on, power. What kind of power is he talking about? In fact, the Greek word there is dunamis. 
which is where we get the word dynamite. What does it mean to have dynamite? It means to have explosive power. Oh man, I could, I could play in the NFL with explosive power. Amen? And in, in the NFL, you need explosive power, don't you? You need to be able to take ground. You need to be able to push people off. You need to be able to... You need the same thing in life, don't you? I'm talking spiritually here. Is don't you, aren't you involved in a very, very hand-to-hand, hard type of combat each and every day? Doesn't it feel like the enemy and his forces and this world? I mean, you got to go through it. You need explosive power. You need to be able to overcome. But how do I do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I want to share something with you. In today's day and age, you have a lot of people that are, that are hurting with depression, anxiety, worry, stress, all sorts of emotional, emotional battle scars that this life has just put on us. We need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome. I truly believe when you begin to operate in your giftings and you begin to share your testimony, the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to manifest its work in you and change, make all things new. Some of us want things to be new, but we don't want to do what Jesus has called us to, to make that newness come true. See, when we engage with Jesus and he begins to work in us and through us, then the newness happens. Some of us are saying, no, Lord, I won't go until I see it. And some are saying, and Jesus is saying, no, believe it, then you'll see it. Do you get it? You go, but how so? Watch. Watch with me. Are you with me? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages, in other tongues. This is a bona fide supernatural miracle where the Holy Spirit hit these men of God and they began to preach the word in a way that they couldn't even explain what they were doing, but the word was received and lives were changed. Can I tell you, when you put yourself out there by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will begin to move in ways you can't explain. But the evidence is clearly seen. Come on, stay with me on this. Look how beautiful this Holy Spirit is. Go near and overtake the chariot, he tells Philip. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit will direct you and you will do supernatural things. You won't even know how you did what you did. I don't know how I got the energy. I don't know where I got the words. I don't know how I ended up there. I don't know how, but I do know that God was in it and it feels amazing. It feels amazing. I don't care about what's happening. I don't care about the stress. I don't care about this and that that's taking place. The spirit of the living God just moved in me and I was used in such a magnificent way that I... Do you see what I'm saying to you? But we've got to be willing. You go, but that's hard. That's why you need the spirit. I know, but what if he doesn't meet me there? Oh, ye of little faith. Listen to what else the Bible says. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. What does this mean? This is when the Holy Spirit led Peter to speak to the Gentiles. Meaning God will deposit in your heart by His Spirit where you're supposed to go. Who you're supposed to talk to. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon him and they received it because of the power that he had. 
See, I've tried to speak to people, but get this Holy Spirit involved. Refuse to say a word without the Spirit of the living God. Amen? How about this? In chapter 13, the Bible says that the Spirit directed the church to ordain two men for his purpose. Watch this. As they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to separate Barnabas and Paul. His name is Saul, but they would be changed to Paul. To Paul for the work to which I have called them. And then in verse 4, they were sent out by the Spirit of God. And because the Spirit of God was directing them, by verse 19, the Apostle Paul performs an amazing miracle. There was a sorcerer. Come on now. I need us to understand we're going to need to operate by the Spirit of the living God. If you haven't noticed, there's a witch under every rock these days. I can't go and have a meal without... I, look, if you have pentagrams and you have the markings of a witch, you're a witch. Unless you've been saved and your appearance will show it. I know I'm making some people upset. My wife says, stay on the platform. Well, baby, when they need to relate, when, they, when I really need to relate, I got to come close. Because this is what's happening. If you haven't noticed witchcraft is exploding in our world. And everywhere you go, you see people with 666, pentagrams, demonic markings, devils tattooed on them, all sorts of different markings that indicate I have embraced a dark side. And this verse is going to prove to be more poignant than you might think in the coming age. I said this to you during COVID. I said, and I don't have to be a prophet to say this. All I have to do is just be in tune with the Spirit and speak the truth. I said, we have been so used to, as a church, operating under an open heaven that our grandparents gave us. Meaning this, this land was blessed by the hand of God and there was a church on every corner and there was a reverence for God. Even those that didn't walk with God understood his principles. And because of that, there was an open heaven and God blessed our land. But since COVID, I, told, I said it, I said it, there's a storm cloud moving in and there's a darkness and the Christians that were used to half-stepping meaning being half-hearted in their commitment to the Lord, we're going to figure out that we're not in Kansas anymore because there was going to be a, a covering of that once open heaven. And now you're going to have to get into prayer. And now you're going to have to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you're going to feel and see opposition come against you. And you're going to see people that are openly engaging dark forces in order to what? To manipulate those around them. And that's what was happening in Paul's day. It was rampant. Paul steps into that scenario and this sorcerer is coming against him and being an obstruction to the gospel preaching of the message of Christ. And Paul looks at him, read it, intently stares at him and says, 
in the name of Jesus, you will be blind until I say otherwise. And blindness hits him. And as he was blind, he could no longer obstruct what Paul was doing in the town. So he went and sat to the side, groping around, looking for how to operate in his blindness. He sat over there and Paul preached the gospel. Amen? Do do you hear what I'm saying to you? Because, Because this is the world we're going into. So, Pastor, I don't know. Um, Go ye therefore and make disciples. And remember, he's with you. So, I care. This is where we finish. And um, we we have one more teaching. So, I'll cover teaching. I'll cover worship. And I will cover uh, prayer next week. I'll finish on I care. You say, what is I care? I care is when we allow our heart to care for the least of these. Jesus said, Jesus said, if you cared for the least, those that were in prison, you went and visited. Those that were sick in the hospital, you cared for them. Those that needed food, you fed them. Those that were thirsty, you gave them water. If you care for the least of these, listen to me, then what? Then you cared for me. And they said, but we never saw you in this way. And they said, if you cared for them, then you cared for me. And so that's what we're called to do. And you say, Pastor, but, but how do I do that? One of the ways you can do it is to be faithful in your giving through eye care here. Every year, our eye care ministry and our board helps hundreds of people with hundreds of dollars make ends meet, buy groceries, keep the lights on, do different things according to the need. Amen? Everything that you spend in our cafe goes to eye care. Every time you make a, a, a gift towards eye care, we spend 100% on needs. And so what my family and, and I have done, we give our tithe, and it's taken out of our check, but we've gone above and beyond to give to eye care. Because my heart before the Lord is, Lord, teach me to be like you. And you may be different, better than me, But I tend to be selfish. I can be a jerk when I when I when I need to be (laughs) all the time. (laughs) It's like that just comes natural, you know, and I've had to learn, Lord, teach me how to be like Christ. And you're a giver, Lord. The Bible says you gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so I'm learning how to give. And so we go above and beyond our tithe and give to eye care. But then I'm saying, Lord, I want to give above and beyond that. I want to learn to hear your spirit speak to me. So when I see a need, Lord, I want you to speak to me. And I want to learn to be a conduit of your love. And as you give me, Lord, help me to give others. And at first this was hard because I'd get so judgmental. And I'd be like, I don't think they need it. I don't th-. And I'd give them, I could come up with a hundred reasons why not to give. You know, anyone like anyone? Okay, I'm the only one struggling to be like Christ. I get it. You guys are right there with Jesus. But, but that's how I, and so over the years, I've said, Lord, teach me to be more like you. And so I want to give. So the other day, there was a man underneath the bridge. Do you remember him? It was, he was there over all of December. He was just underneath our bridge right there sleeping. And one day I just said, no, that's not good. I, I'm going to go minister to him. So I went over there and I parked my truck and I'm crossing the street and I'm like, 
how you doing? And he waves at me, and I said, hey, man, I wanted to meet you. And he goes, yeah. I said, came over, and I shook his hand. And I said, my name is Chris Pena, and he gave me his name. Um, I won't use it. I still remember, but, but I won't use it right now. And uh, I said, uh, and he was super happy. I said, man, I just wanted to come over, see if I could help in any way. And he goes, okay. And I said, I'm the pastor next door. And then he goes, I get it. I get it. That, that's part of the, the, the gig, I guess. Um, and I go, you know, and, and, he, and I said, I just wanted to see if I could help you. No, I don't need anything. And he takes his cigarette and he blows it right in my face. I'm like, not like I've never been clubbing, man. <laughs> that, that's not going to bother me. That was my whole life, right? I don't, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. But I'm like, if you knew how I used to live, that's not going to bother me. So I just smiled and I said, uh, man, I love you. And I wanted to see if we could help. I bought something for you. He goes, no, I don't want it. And I said, it's a backpack. It's a North Face backpack. I, pa- I packed it with a, a thermos, other things you might need, a Bible. Um, I've already gone through the expense. It's yours. No strings attached. It's yours. No. No. Don't, don't want it. Don't need it. He crossed his arms. So I said, okay, now what do I do? And I'm like, oh, shoot, now I've I've really done. I said, man, are you sure? Listen, if there's any way we can help you, don't hesitate. I'm right here. Come and flag me down. I pass by here every day. We want to help you. And he says, no. So I get back in the truck, and you have to walk of shame, you know. (laughs) And you feel like, oh, man, Lord, I missed it. And I got in my truck and I started it. I waved at him and I said, man, it feels lousy to be rejected. And then this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He didn't reject you. He rejected me. And you, I am very proud of. I said, but Lord, I didn't do anything. He said, you were obedient. And you want to hear my voice. So I said, okay, Lord. That means it's for somebody else. So then later on, I come to church and Josh. Josh, raise your hand. Where's he at? He's over here somewhere. Josh Mayfield. Where are you at? There he is, right here. Josh comes outside, and this is where we finish. He tells me this. He says, hey, Pastor Chris, you haven't had one of those jacket sermons in a long time. He literally said that. I said, what's a jacket sermon? He goes, you've had several sermons where you use a jacket as an illustration of how God blessed you or did something. A jacket? I'm like, yeah, I do have tons of jackets, right? So I left it at that. That very next week, Josh, the, the, the cold front's coming in. I'm coming out of HEB to prepare for family dinner. And uh, there's a man in the parking lot. And he says, psst, hablas espanol. I said, I, I speak well enough. Um, can I help you? He said, I'm hungry. Me and a couple of friends have come from Mexico and, or, or from across the border. I don't know if they were from Mexico. They're Spanish speaking. And we don't have any food. It's gotten cold on us. We're not going to be able to work. and They won't pay us until we work. We have work, but we just need to get a little bit. I said, let me put my groceries up. Stay right here. Put my groceries up, came over, and I was talking to the Lord as I'm putting my groceries up. Lord, help me be generous. Help me be generous. Help me be generous. So I had some money in, in, in cash, and I said, how much? And I felt like the Lord said, all. I go, all? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? 
Anyone? Anyone? And so I, I, he says, all. So I come over and, and I hand it to him and, and he just got so excited. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, I help you. I said it in Spanish, gave it to him. Man, he was so grateful. Gave me a big old hug. I took off. So I'm in the truck feeling great. And I'm like, man, Lord, what do you think? And he says, I wasn't done. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm already halfway home. He says, turn around. Give him the jacket you have in the back seat. I said, that's a Carhartt jacket. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? He says, give him the jacket you have in the back seat. I said, he's already gone, Lord. He's not going to be there. He didn't say anything else. And I could just tell. So I go to the next exit. I'm like, I'm almost, have, I'm almost home. I'm like, okay, God, I hear you. And I go back and I pull up. And now he comes back and he says, what? And he was, he was fixing to leave. He had bought some groceries. And, uh, and I come out. I come to him and I said, I'm supposed to give you this in the name of Jesus as well. I was praying and he, he just starts breaking down and he puts, the, he puts the coat on and he's like, oh man, it's está bien calientita. Oh man, he's, he said how warm it was. I said, of course. And, and, then, and then I give him a beanie to go with it and, and, and I leave and I'm just like, okay, God, this is amazing, right? And so I have this amazing time with God until this past Wednesday, I lost my jacket. And it's been gone for like several weeks. I haven't been able to find it. And then on Wednesday, for whatever reason, I decided I needed to find it. So I'm tearing the house apart. And how many of you, when you can't find something, start to get a little frustrated and you can even lose a little of your Christianity? Not all of it, but a little bit. And you start blaming people. And you're like, it was one of these kids of mine. Dad, come and I wish they'd leave dad's stuff alone. You know, and I'm like yelling at the kids and they're not even there. And I'm like, when they get home, they're really going to get it because they don't know how to respect myself stuff and and I'm like freaking out and then my wife comes he goes what are you doing I said you won't even help me either she goes I don't know what you're doing I said I lost my jacket the special jacket your daddy gave me the leather one and she goes you better not have <laughs> and I'm like I might have left it at such and such restaurant so she calls no it's not there now I'm really worried because I've torn the house apart and I got to baptize like in 10 minutes <laughs> you know so I get to the church and baptism's about to take place and I'm sitting at my desk and I can't stop thinking about this jacket. Anyone? I'm just thinking about this jacket, jacket. And I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, listen to me closely. He says, he says, seek my kingdom first. And I said, yeah, Lord, but this jacket, he goes, seek my kingdom first. Focus on baptism. Focus on worship. You're about to go into a worship night. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I get into that. I go do the baptism, all that. Um, had a beautiful night. Go back home. Tear the house up again. Right? I focused on that first. Now it's back to the jacket. He, he still says, seek my kingdom first. Go to bed. Go to bed. So I go to bed. Get up in the morning. Look for the jacket again. Right? I'm in the, I'm, he goes, seek my kingdom first. I come, clean the church. The church is cleaned. I'm back in my office thinking about this jacket. Right? He says, it's time to study for Sunday. So now I'm studying for Sunday. And as I'm studying for Sunday, I'm like, yeah, Lord, but are you going to help me find the jacket? <laughs> you know, are you going to help me find this jacket? And I hear him say, listen to me. I've got it. Seek my kingdom first. So I'm studying for, my, for this message. And Raquel comes in the office and says, hey, some of the guys want to talk to you. And 
Um, I just let you see it. I'm telling him, the Lord told me yesterday, focus on the service. So you didn't hear it, but first thing, he was asking me some question. I'm like, I don't care about your question. Get my jacket off of you. That's my jacket. Amen. So you say, but pastor, what does that have to do with me? Seek the kingdom first. He'll take care of your children. Seek the kingdom first. He'll take care of your, your family. Seek the kingdom first. He'll take care of your needs. Seek the kingdom first. He'll give you another 15 years. I don't know what it is. Whatever's on your heart, seek the kingdom first. Amen? Let him take care of it. So Lord, as we focus on you today, We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We know that you provided all things at the cross. You provided healing, restoration, but most of all, salvation. We are forever grateful. Thank you, Lord. For your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, church. Have a great, great week.